Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. It is a Monday edition. Happy President's Day to everyone. Uh, edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Bill Meltzer along as well. Flyers uh, in the midst, in the middle of a four-game road trip and looking to pull the nose up and pull back on the stick a little bit and joining us for this episode, as he does on every Monday's episode, is Bill Meltzer from NHL.com, PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. Bill, how the late nights treating you? It's uh, they're <laughs> they're challenge, they're challenge. Thankfully, Calgary's an afternoon game or early early, early evening game. By the time it's over, so you get a night's sleep, get a get a one night reprieve before the the final. Really, the, really the final late start this season. So uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> that's one thing. Yeah, it will. It kind of rags on you a little bit. I can't imagine having to play that late at night. And then, yeah. you know, like after the first game, the Seattle game, they then travel to Vancouver, deal with customs and all of that. And uh, after the nine o'clock game tomorrow night against Edmonton, I think they have two eight thirties uh, in Dallas and Chicago, the last game of the year. But other than that, no more flyers uh, supremely after dark. Uh, let's start with Calgary because that's who they play today. It's a back-to-back with Calgary and Edmonton for the Alberta Clipper. And right now the team, Bill, in their last 10 games are 2-4-3, and three, um, and or 2-5-3, and three, I should say. And they're a team right now that's struggling to score once again. You're in the dog days of a season, and, you know, a lot of players look mentally tired. They're being asked to do more than they've ever been asked to do, either at any level or at the NHL level. And I think it's showing up on the ice and you're going to get a couple of games here in the next two days and three and four days that you're going to have to earn everything you get and structure and, and the mental game and preparedness are all going to have to be a part of that. Calgary's in a dogfight right now. This is a tough game this afternoon uh, against Calgary. And it's going to be just as tough tomorrow night in Edmonton. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Calgary uh, a year ago was hit a level where they really were, truly one of the, the top teams in the West. I mean, ultimately, of course, Colorado was the team that came out. Um, a lot of transition this year. Um, figured to be a team that, that might take a little while to gel, and that, that's been the case. Um, but I'm still still a team, as the Flyers found out when they played them earlier this year, you know, they're, they're a team, they're a team that, that uh, hard, hard team to play against, always has been. Um, still pretty good depth there. Definitely, definitely a big challenge. Um, you know, the, anytime you have a three and four, it's tough. Um, Flyers did have a, you know, a travel day and, and a little, a little bit of time off to rest up for it. Um, but it's, it's tough. It's, it's definitely going to be a little bit of uphill, you know, a little bit of an uphill battle. Um, I mean, truthfully come coming in when you looked at the, the four games you're facing Vancouver seemed to be the game where. A, you have the best chance of riding the ship offensively and probably the best chance on paper of winning. Um, they played, you know, you have, you have to try to build game to game. Um, I, they, they played better in Vancouver than they did in Seattle, but really not, still not well enough. Still, still the, the glaring lack of scoring is, is the number one thing that stands out. Um, Calgary makes you earn a little bit more than, than, than Vancouver does. So, you, you know, it's gonna be a, a grinded out, grinded out kind of a game. It's uh, you can't even can't even think about Edmonton, you know, uh, until this one is over. But it's uh, you know, it's grueling. I mean, John Terrell was not lying when he said, you know, it, it only it only gets tougher from here on out. And 
every time you're facing a team that's in a dogfight for for a postseason spot, they have they have instant motivation every game. And yes, yes, there's always motivation. There's always something to play for. It, it's def it's definitely tough. Definitely tough mentally. Um, you know, it's uh, players are, are players are playing for a lot of things. They're playing for jobs ultimately. They're they're playing for contracts. They're playing for a lot of things. And the team is still playing for respect. I mean, you know, they're now back a couple games under hockey 500. And uh, it's it's definitely tough. This, this road trip, um, you know, the uh, – I mean, as, as tough as the Seattle game was, I think these these are the two toughest games of the yeah. uh, of the trip. Yeah, Vancouver's a team that gives up the second most amount of goals per yeah. games played uh, in the NHL this season. Only Anaheim gives up more. And the Flyers played Calgary back on November 21st. That was a 5-2 Calgary win in Philadelphia – and, uh, you know, they do have some good pieces there, although, you know, it's interesting because Daryl Sutter, um, his message may be getting tuned out a bit. And I think obviously some players complaining about the way he's conducted himself this season in regards to that group handling it well. And there's a lot of turnover there with Huberto coming in and Mackenzie Weger. And uh, they're a team right now that doesn't look like that team. And some of it stands to reason when you lose Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk. Yeah. Uh, but there still is some pretty good pieces there, and, and they're going to make the Flyers earn it because they're in a dogfight right now. No, absolutely they are. And I'll tell you, when Calgary's been been pretty inconsistent this year, but when they've been on their game, yeah, they're they're still they're still a load to handle. I mean, they're it's uh you know, and they're they're a team that the Flyers on paper don't match up well, especially against either two. So it's uh it's tough. I mean, they, they have to come in, and, and you have to. Have to hang in the game and and uh, can can't afford can't have another totally another another first period like they had against Seattle, but uh, keep yourself in the game. Um, you know, don't don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to get worn down. And uh, you know, it, it, it's all, all the challenges of the road. But it's uh, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any other way you can put it that these are these are two. Tough games. Yeah, and and they're at a point in the season right now, Bill, and I asked Torts about it, and I said, is this a a prime spot in your schedule in your season where you could see slippage in two key areas, one being um, the way your team prepares to play and how hard they play, and then the other one is in the structure of the game, and I think we've seen both of those things. You know, Bill, I think uh, with some players in particular, I think we're seeing some players really hit a wall for a litany of different reasons. For a guy like Travis Konechny, it's you know, he knows he's the highest, most potent offensive player on a team that struggles to score. Yeah. And that that's a large burden to carry mentally. And then he has the 0 for 13, no goals in 13 games. And th- it becomes even more pronounced. Although I thought he was really good in the Vancouver game um, after getting off the, sh- you know, Schneid with uh, two goals in garbage time against Seattle. Those two goals didn't mean anything to the result, but they I think they meant something to the player. Um, and then you look at guys like Noah Cates playing more games than he's played in forever and being asked to do so in the middle at the NHL level as a, as a center when he's primarily been a winger. And I think a lot of guys, you know, are seeing the mental fatigue of elevated roles beyond what they are as a player because they're relying on Konechny to be, you know, a 100-point guy because they lack offense from just a mental standpoint, but he's not that guy. And I think it's worn some guys down. No, for, for sure. I agree with that. You know, when Konechny had that stretch of 
20 points in 10 games. Hey, you know, he's not that player. You know, he's, um, you know, I, he, I, I really liked, I really liked his game in Vancouver. Um, he only, he only got an assist, didn't score in that game, but he was, he was buzzing all night. He was one of the guys who definitely had a lot of energy getting, getting off the Schneid in Seattle. Definitely was a weight off of his shoulders. Yeah. Um, you know, seven and, shots and, on goal, 12 attempts in the game. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, and all night long, I mean, he, you know, was making some good stick handling pays plays. The, the frost power play goal doesn't happen without Konechny in front of the net. Konechny actually mm-hmm. kept that puck alive. So, uh, you know, he, he was a big part of that particular goal being scored. Um, but he goes into every game knowing that, that he's definitely, you know, he's definitely got to be one of the number one guys who shoulders the load. Um, Kevin Hayes too. Kevin Hayes is still the best distributor on the team. And, you know, he carries that, he carries that burden as well. I mean, you can number the lines however you want to number them, but, but really those are still the two guys who you rely the most on, on driving the offense. And, you know, it's been, it's been a strange season offensively in that up until December scoring was a big issue. I think the Flyers were about 26 offensively at that, at that point. Then they hit a stretch for five weeks where they were they were actually tied in, in goals per game with Tampa Bay and they were they were seventh in the NHL over over that stretch of five weeks. And he said, okay, well that's a, a you know a, a nice surge there. I mean, Torts I think saw what was coming to a degree where he he said, listen, and it was, this this was I believe yeah, I had to double check the date, but I believe this was the game that they lost to uh, Chicago at home. They, mm-hmm. they got an early goal, but the rest of the night they were just a little bit off. You know, they they had a lot of, some almost goals, but they they were held to one by Chicago, which is a team that that has issues keeping the puck out of its net. And and I think on on that night, Tortorella said, "Listen, I think we've fallen a little bit in a little bit in love with trying to be a team that's going to score off the rush. I think the way we're going to score is we have to grind it out. You know, get in the forecheck, create turnovers." When we're not we're not going to score a ton on the rush, especially when we get into the stretch drive. That's been kind of prophetic because the Flyers have scored barely more than two goals a game since then. Yeah, they're um, averaging about two point three since then. That's yeah. twelve games, Bill. Three six and three with twenty six goals for. Yeah, yeah, which is thirty first in the NHL. Next, next yeah. to last. So, um, you know, and that 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 gives your goalies no margin for error. You, you go, I mean, it's back. It's kind of back where they were earlier the season where. If you need, if you're gonna go and need, need four to win, you're probably not gonna get it. So yeah. it's, uh, you know, so it's, uh, it, it's def, definitely an uphill struggle. You know, we're, we're uh, one of the things they have to get back to is the scoring by committee. Um, over these last dozen or so games, nobody's been hot. Nobody. Yeah. You know, I, I think, I think going into Vancouver, Kevin Hayes, I think, had seven points in the last twelve games, and that led the team. That that tells you how hard goals have been. Yeah, and, and he's got to be a catalyst for this team as well. Didn't have a shot on goal uh, against Vancouver in that game, and I believe didn't have one against Seattle either. Um, Bill, one of the things, too, is we're getting closer to the deadline now, and we're seeing some activity around the league. I mean, we've seen some pretty substantial moves when you look at what the Rangers acquired. I mean, they make a big, big deal, and they get after it. You look at Toronto, really big deal. They acquire Ryan O'Reilly. We see now that Jonathan Taves will not be moved because he's dealing with 
um, some fallout from long COVID and some, um, I guess it's, you know, dealing his immune system is depressed a bit as well. Um, so he's been dealing with that and not being able to play. Uh, we'll see if Patrick Kane gets moved, but we're starting to see some movement around the NHL. And, you know, Flyer fans are going, why haven't the Flyers made a deal yet? Well, I think really the the reason I think of is they don't have the top tier guys that they're selling off. James Van yeah. Riemsdyk's kind of a, a second tier guy. And that takes place after some of the top tier guys go off the board. And then, you know, Nick Sealer or Justin, Justin Braun or maybe Patrick Brown. I mean, I think they're pretty much hours before the deadline kind of guys. Um, as insurance policies, but that's kind of the way I see why the Flyers haven't been moving players at this point is in the trade deadline. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, we said this kind of midseason too that the bigger, bigger hockey trades for the Flyers are more likely after the season, figuring out what are next steps, what direction are they going in, and the guys that they'd be selling, as you said, they're they're not the they're not the top guys on the market, so. Yeah, I, I, I think anybody that's expecting anything earth-shattering with the Flyers, um, you know, I, I'm sure you get these messages too. Some people are like, "Well, Timo Meyer, maybe." It's like, no, that's that's not the that's not the store the Flyers are shopping in right now, unfortunately. Yeah. Right? Ten million dollar so, qualifying offer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that, that's just you know, if you're if you're expecting that, you're setting yourself up to be disappointed. Yeah. You know, and and. Uh, I expect small moves and to, to keep trying to go gradually here, collect, collect some assets. At least, uh, you know, there, there's a silver lining. At least there's no delusion that, uh, Hey, maybe we're just going to hold on to pieces here and maybe we can sneak in the playoffs. Cause that, that kind of has disappeared since the all-star break. So, and any, any thought of that, not that I think there was much to begin with, but in any thought of that, they are, they're definitely sellers. Um, one of the things they can do to grab a compensatory pick is regarding Jay O'Brien. I was asked about this in a DM from a Flyer fan about what they're going to do in regards to Jay O'Brien. If they make that decision by a particular date, Bill, I believe they get the pick in this year's 2023 draft. And if you're able to get a conditional second for maybe James Van Riemsdyk here at the deadline, and then you say you're tar- they don't have a, they don't have their own second round pick. So say it's at like 26 overall in the second round you know, the 26 slotted team and all of a sudden you have that compensatory pick and you target a player 21, maybe you can use that to move up. Do you expect them to, to likely not sign Jay O'Brien and grab that compensatory pick? Yeah. Well, when uh, Smitty and I did the last prospect pipeline, you know, we talked to to Brent Flair and of course, Brent's not going to tip his hand on anything. No. Uh, But the, the tea leaves that I read in there was that, uh, all right, they they know what Jay O'Brien is and isn't. He's been hurt a lot. That that's uh, really that's really set back his development. I think I think in any fair assessment of the player, you have to you have to say, well, in four collegiate seasons, he's been hurt in three, and the one he wasn't hurt in, you know, was was the was the season was the COVID year. So it was a short season. Yeah. So he only played sixteen games that season. Um, that definitely set him back. Um, but you know, then you have to figure, okay. What is he, right? I still think he has a chance to be a pro, but I don't think he's going to be a top six forward. Um, you know, you one thing, one thing that the compensatory pick, and essentially, I mean, it's a sandwich pick that would be, but the end of the, you know, after the end of the second, before the start of the third. So really, it's a third round pick. 
Yeah. It, 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 it'll go as a second officially, but it's really a third round. But but if you have a couple of picks, you know, second in second round, late second round, whatever in that range, um, yeah, you, then you can then you could package the two of them if you have to, and yeah. move up a little earlier in the second round. So, you know, it, so yeah, then that that's a pick that um, that they don't they don't they don't have a second rounder currently. Um, that that's part of the Rasmus Bristol line and trade. That's the, the last piece that the last piece of that trade. Um, and then you know, of course, a year from now too, uh, that would be uh, Tony D'Angelo. That because it was a fourth, a fourth last year, uh, third this year, and a second next year. But the Flyers, you know, Flyers picked up third round picks by other means. So, um, but but you, you don't want to trade. That was one issue the Flyers had in the early 2010s. They they traded away too many, um, too many second round picks. Um, I, I'll say this about second round picks. Um, you know, it, yes, some second round picks turn out to be Hawks to Brinkett or Michael Renberg or, you know, you, you, you know, name the players picked pick in the second round. The average second round pick turns out to be more of a Robert Haig type, you mm-hmm. know, uh, if, you know, or a, uh, a Nick of a Cubell, that kind of a player. They, they may they may have NHL roles that tend, tend to be towards the bottom of the lineup, you know, and, and you still need those kind of players. They're useful, and, and particularly because, you know, so you don't have to go and sign a veteran down the line that that yeah. uh, that eats cap, but uh, you know the, the average second round pick does not turn out to be a star, but but the assets are still valuable. Yeah, and it, it's a a player maybe that you can get into your lineup on an ELC in a year or so, and that you're not paying a lot of money to. So that's always one of the advantages of the pick as well um, moving forward. And you got to ask yourself: is you know is that Jay O'Brien or can maybe we take a swing and package those move up for and target a player in an area of need and maybe end up better off. That's, and also obviously this front office doesn't have a ton of skin in the Jay O'Brien game. They didn't draft them. So maybe that plays a role as well. Um, So we'll see how that plays out. Bill, I I wanted to take an assessment here on this episode and kind of revisit some key categories with the flyers through 57 games. Um, and I want to look at, you know, who the team's MVP is at this point, who's been the best defenseman, who's the most improved player, who's been the biggest disappointment. Well, we'll grade the coaching staff, um, a player that is better than maybe you thought they'd be before this season. And, you know, a, a key component that still needs to happen this season. So let's start with, you know, it's tough to almost have this conversation about an MVP when the team has gone two, five and three in their last 10 and have trouble scoring. But when you look through 57 games, who has been the team's most valuable player? I mean, for me and my money, I connecting has been great this year. He's got a career high 26 goals. Uh, but to me, I got to look at the guy between the pipes because even though his record's not super flashy or spectacular, I think he has been given the lack of scoring and a lack of run support. And that's Carter Hart. Yeah. I, I, I would go with the same. Um, if Konechny had not had the 13 game goal drought, yeah. I probably would have just slightly leaned towards Konechny, but now the, now the scales have been tipped probably back where they were a little earlier in the season. From my point of view, I think you have to go with Hart. Um, you know, as long as, as long as you give him a chance to make saves, he's going to, he's going to keep you in the, keep you in the game with a chance to win almost every night. The, the Vancouver game, 
he had no chance on the first three goals. The fourth yeah. one, the fourth one, the fourth one was a different story, but that that's one goal. That's one goal in the game. And if uh, if they given him a chance a little earlier in the game, maybe it's a different story too. So that that's usually the case. That Hart will, you know, Hart, Hart will if he can see the puck, he'll stop the puck, and you know, and, and he has a he has really good bounce back ability too. I mean. He he's he's a guy who really is worth more to the team than, than the numbers even show. So I that that would be my pick too. Yeah, and he's had so many dominating performances. Yeah. You know, grabbing victory from the jaws of defeat so many times this year. Just spectacular nine forty nine fifty nine seventy save percentage games. Um, that that kind of cinches it for me as well. I mean, I get that Vancouver game. Two goals are tipped by Bavillier. And the second one on an absolute bomb by Elias Pettersson, four seconds into the power play. And the Kuzmenko goal, he's wide open on the back door. He's got to trust his coverage. Yeah, back, back door tipping. Yeah, that, yeah. What was he going to do in that? So. Um, and two great passes, uh, two assists rather there for former Flyer Luke Shen. So let's talk about who's been the Flyers' best defenseman this year. Now, last year winning the Badger Ashby Award was Travis Sanheim. His name might come up in a different category so far this year. Mm. But when you look at the best defenseman on this team, um, you know, I, I, I'm looking at this and I'm going, yeah, Ristolainen has been really good. He'll come up in another category for me. Um, but overall, and this may not be a popular pick, even though he hasn't put oh. up staggering offensive numbers, I gotta, gotta look at a guy like Ivan Provorov because uh, there's been some stretches where he's been really good. And I always liken him to an offensive lineman, Bill. If you don't hear his name a lot during a broadcast, he's probably doing his job. And yeah. Yeah, the, the the whole stretch of the season where the team picked up in December through really really through the All Star break, um, and you know his ability to compartmentalize. Right, there was the whole Pride Day controversy, which I'm not even going to touch here, except except to say this that he's played, he played really good really good hockey through all that. You know, yeah, didn't affect um, his play. No, it did not affect his play whatsoever, and and I think that uh, he has reestablished himself as the, you know the, and and, and in some I guess in some respect it's by default, but he, he has been Flyers' number one defenseman. His, you know, he doesn't doesn't play as much power play time as he did previously. Um, I mean, honestly, honestly, the Flyers' power play has been bad with with or without him. So, um, but I I, I think Pro Bravo, Early this season wasn't putting up points, but he was playing really well defensively. Um, and I and I think over the last month or so, he's been really, you know, for the most part, game in and game out, pretty solid too. Um, it, it would be nice if there were other really standout candidates. Yes, Ristolainen has, has settled in pretty nicely, and you know, and and really, there's no there's no other there's no other candidate is the best defenseman on the team. So, you know. Again, maybe it's a little bit by default, but but I I can't make I can't really make a case for another guy. So. Yeah, I mean, given his role and given his expectations, Sealer has been very good, yeah. but um, it's just not at the same level in my estimation as uh, Ivan Provorov. Let's go to the most improved player this year. Now, most improved is an interesting category because it goes based on where he was the year prior, and when I look at the most improved player. You know, we didn't see a lot of Owen Tippett last year. That kind of takes him out of that category for me. And when I look at where the players improve, kind of even since being here, and it is Ristolainen. 
you know, I think the effect that Bradshaw and this coaching staff and the structure and the way they've gotten him to not chase plays, not over pursue, not take himself out of plays and gotten him with a more active stick inside the dots has made a huge difference in his game. The analytics, the underlying numbers have yeah. all said the same and the eye test equals it to me. He's the most improved player. And I don't think it's particularly close to anyone else. Yeah, I, I think he. I think he'll win the uh, Pelly Lindbergh among his teammates. I think they'd probably have the the same assessment. Um, you know, his his hits are a little bit down. Yep. His block shots are a little bit down, but that's because he's playing more under control too. Yeah, he takes himself out of less plays. Um, I, I think it's uh, you know that that would have been my choice too, but it's, I don't want to. <laughs> I want to pick the same guys on everything. I'll, I'll go just a little different here, and I'll say Cam York. Um, good one. That is a good one. Good point. He was a player who was under a lot of lot of heat in camp. Torch wasn't happy with him. Went back to the American League, and um, you know he's maybe not the last game or two. He's one of those guys who's maybe feeling the the stretch of the dog days of the season right now a little bit uh, over the last week or so. But I think on the whole, you don't question is he an NHL defenseman? He he's uh, he's worked for the most part really well with Provorov on, on his offside. He's improved by leaps and bounds playing on his offside. Plays around the net, defensive stick, um, making really good outlet passes. Um, when they can maybe at some point figure out, get the power play to some some shred of consistency, I think he can be a contributor there too. So I th- I think I think a lot of the things we were worried about heading into the season, he, he's answered that. So I, I, I'll just take a little different direction there and I'll, I'll say York. That's a good point. And He's a guy that, you know, when he started the year with the Phantoms, we're going, oh, man, is it, you know, is this going to ever work out for this guy at the NHL level? It seemed like he was a lock, stock, and, you know, guy to be on this roster coming out of camp, and it didn't happen. But uh, since being called up, he has been uh, very consistent, and he provides something that they sorely need. That's that first pass out of the zone. Let's talk about the guy that's maybe been the biggest disappointment. I look at a field of players here, Bill, and – for for different reasons with with these guys, I mean, you can look at Felix Sandstrom. You know, a lot of people had high hopes for the 2015 draft pick um, that he could be a bona fide NHL backup. Right now, he's the third guy with Sam Harrison taking over the backup role. Um, you can look at a guy um, like Joel Faraby, or you can look at you know, there's a couple guys you can look at in this regard. Tony D'Angelo, a matter of fact, uh, I went with Faraby. Um, he's coming off that surgery. I think it's a tricky surgery to come on to come back from. And, you know, I mean, even look at Jack Eichel, who's a very high pedigree player. I mean, he's gotten called out by Bruce Cassidy out there in Vegas that they need more from him. So I think it's a tricky one to come back from. Maybe it takes a year to really come back from it. At points, it's looked like it's looked like his game's about ready to get fully in order, and then it kind of falls off again. So uh, to me, my biggest disappointment would probably be Joel Farabee. Yeah, and, and I'll add to that. You know, you just had a game where you had 13 forwards available. You dressed 11, right? They, they went 11-7. And, and although I think some of it had to do with, I think Faraby was a little bit banged up in the second period. Um, but he finished the game. He only, he only played about 10 minutes. Yeah. And that's in the game where you're chasing the game. I mean, that, that's a guy who, you know, you're after the all-star break. That's a guy who I think every one of us would have said, hey, he's one of the guys when you're short in the bench, you went out there for offense. Yeah. And his, his confidence level is very, very low. I do think physically uh, his strength just has not been there this year. Um, but other things, too, he, he's, he's been 
you know, a cat in the past has been a catalyst on the forecheck, not the biggest guy, but one of the biggest hearts on the team. And then getting in, creating turnovers, creating possession. He's, he's been good at all those things. He's been a 20 goal scorer in the NHL. So we know he can do it. 55 games. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he's just, you know, he's, he's just way off the mark this season. Um, Looks so, like he's playing catch up, Bill, all year yeah, long. And yeah, he's just uh, not catching yeah, up. It, it, yeah, I mean, I, it, and it's funny because he's dressed in every game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you can't really say you can't really say that about anyone on the team. Um, you know, but, but you can say that about him. He's dressed in every game. Um, and but but it, it, it's like he's chased the season all year long, as you said. He had a stretch, and right after New Year's, where I thought, okay, he's he's pulling it together here. Not just not just the points, but you, you could see, you know, you, you could see some of the swagger coming back in his game. Yeah. Um, you know, when when Farabee's on, he's a very confident player, and he makes distribution is the key to me. The way he distributes yeah. the puck when he's confident. No, 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 no question, no question. And you know, he's one of the guys too. That at least in the past, he's a guy. You know, if he makes a mistake, you know, breaks an egg here and there, he just just would bounce back. It was, it was the, you know, pretty fast maturation process as, as a player. So this year has been, been a huge disappointment because there are other guys with about the same number of points. Tippett and Frost have virtually the same number of points as Farabee, but they were, they were coming from a different place, yeah. you know, even though they're about the same age, but they, they were coming from, you know, are, are these guys NHL players? Whereas Farabee was one of the guys you know, we we know we've seen it. We we know that he's a good young NHL player. So, you know, in, in his case, it's kind of disappointing. Um, I, I, I will, you know, I, I'll say that Farabee be, be my pick among the forwards. Um, fairly or unfairly, my pick would be Travis Sandheim. However, yeah, um, won the Barry Ashby Trophy last year. Had a stretch in November where I really thought, okay, he, he's back to where he was a year ago. Even even recently, that that game against Anaheim, the the two to one uh, shootout win, I thought he was tremendous in that game, jumping into the play, um, you know, getting involved, um, cr- creating transition rushes. I mean, I thought, okay, this is his best game in months, and let's see how he builds on it. And unfortunately, Travis hasn't really had a good game since then. Yeah. Um, his next game against against Nashville was a really rough one, as a matter of fact. I was really disappointed to see that. Um. Can he turn it on down the stretch? I certainly hope he can. And the Flyers need him to. Yeah. You know, but uh, I, I just think relative to where he finished last year as kind of taken over the mantle to some extent from, from Provorov, even though even though he was, you would say, second pair and, and Provorov still first pair. But Sandheim was, was really came on so well in so many aspects of his game last year and has taken a significant step backwards this year. So... I, I, you know, I, I would, I would go with Sanheim for that reason. Yeah, and Sanheim obviously signs the contract as well, and you wonder the effect of that as, as often as you know everybody does. And then, you know, with Faraby, I, I think the neck is bothering him because his shooting percentage is nine, nine percent, yeah. and yeah. that obviously can impact your ability to shoot the pill. Um, let's go to uh, the player going into this season that has performed better than they you thought they'd be or better player than you thought they'd be at this point. And th- there's some candidates here. Noah Cates is obviously one who, you know, he came in last year and had, you know, good numbers in a small sample size, 
but I think we were all kind of thinking, I eh, know Cates is, you know, he's a nice player. He's never going to, you know, blow you away offensively. I mean, he's been great defensively. He's obviously a candidate in that regard. Maybe Sam Harrison is a candidate in that yeah. regard. But the guy I look at is the guy who came in the Drew trade, and that's Owen Tippett. Yeah, he's been erratic at times, and, you know, all goal scorers are. They kind of go through hot and cold streaks and confidence. But um, the one thing I think about Tip is that skating ability is an element of his game that I didn't think he could be that good at with his frame. Um, I think once he puts all of those pieces in his game together, he's going to be a good power forward, really good, consistent power forward. To me, he's a better player than I thought he'd be, probably more so than anybody. Yeah, uh, I, I thought we saw the later part of last season, though. Um, flashes. You know, yeah, yeah, in, in, in flashes. Um, honestly, when, when they had that line of, of Cades, Frost, and Tippett going as going mm-hmm. an intact line, Late in the season, and and I believe it was Katoria that said that was our best line, our final twelve games of the season. Yeah. Um, so I I, I kind of knew it was already there in Tippett. Um, you know, I we'll we'll see how he ends this year. Um, but I, I he's a guy that I, that you know I've all it's easy to see the upside in him. Um, Kate's you know he he's really held his own at center. I think it's hurt him a little bit offensively. Yep. Um, I mean, he doesn't get a lot of shots on goal because he he's so defensive minded in the middle. Um, but you can match him against anybody, and he matched against McDavid extremely well. Twenty four yeah. of twenty eight shifts in that game. Yep, and he's gonna he's gonna have to do it again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, tomorrow. Um, so I mean, Cates is Cates has been really really good in that area. Um, you know. Depending depending on Sean Couturier's situation long term, I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I in a perfect world, I would personally love to see Cates back on a wing, just because he's such a good forechecker. We we hardly get to see it playing playing center, um, you know. Uh, and, and I guess there's a debate as what's more valuable, the two way center or the two way forward. Well, the you know, I would say the two way center is more valuable. But the the two way forward could also get you about eighteen goals and you know and and great possession on the forecheck too maybe a little more than you can in the middle then that starts to even out a little bit too but you have the versatility of, of different ways you can use them yeah. um, so I, I think Kate's Kate's would probably be my pick um, and then I'll just say as as an off the board guy um, Nick Steeler Nick Steeler has been an everyday defenseman for this team yeah. And on the third pairing, and he doesn't hurt you on the third pairing. You know, he's he really holds he really holds his own. It's not it's not like a guy you go, boy, this this guy is just just a fill-in at the NHL level. He, you know, you know, I don't want him to play higher than third pair or five or a six, but um, you know, but it, but he's really good in that role. He's a very good defender. Um, you know, he can actually surprise you once in a while with some plays he can make, and uh, there is not a quicker guy on the team. To you know, stand up for his goalie, stand up for a teammate than, than Sealer. Um, you know, coming into this year, I thought he, he's he's the number seven. When somebody goes down, he's the guy who comes in. Well, he's earned his way into the top six, and he's been steady. So, although my pick would be Kate and going with a younger player, you know, I I, I want to give a shout out to Sealer too because he's been solid. Yeah, I totally agree. I came into the season with that same thought on him. And he's not only has he been good, but he's been consistent in a tough year to be consistent. Um, let's grade the coaching staff, not just the head coach, but we're grading 
soup to nuts here. So we're going Kim Dillaball. We're going Brad Shaw, Rocky Thompson, John Tortorella. Uh, what kind of grade would you give this staff through 57 games, Bill? I mean, th- they've moved forward, obviously, a little bit. And a big thing is finding out who's who and what's what. And they're going to get a chance to see what some of these guys are through pretty adverse conditions probably for the remainder of this season, probably going to lose some players as well. Um, So you're going to see some of that and how these players react in this situation is going to be of the utmost importance. Uh, But how would you kind of grade the staff so far? I I gave the entire staff an A minus, you know, I look at what Brad Shaw has done with Ristolainen and I look at the standard that torts has brought Rocky Thompson's power play is not working. He's lacking a ton of high end talent and all fairness. Um, Kim, D- Kim Dillaball, the job he's done with the goaltending, I think has been really good. And so I'm going to go with an A minus for the coaching staff at this point. Uh, I go with a solid B. It's a vet- veteran staff, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they can continue to uh, help the team evolve. Um, I-, I think Bradshaw has been very solid. I-, I like I like a lot of Rocky Thompson's philosophies. Um, you know, I. I- I like that he's not afraid to try things too. Yeah. You know, um, and, and when they had that, when they had that offensive surge, I, I, I thought that, uh, you know, I thought Thompson deserves a little bit of credit there, there too. He, he has a good rapport with several of the young forwards. Um, you know, he's, uh, it's funny because anybody remembers Rocky as a player, you, you know, you remember what his role was and it was the, the old fashioned guy whose only role basically was to fight and throw his weight around. Yeah, but he's, he's uh, he, yep. yeah, and, and but I mean he's you know he's one of the more up on analytics coaches that are out there actually he he uses it a lot in his work um, that come combining analytics with video and a good rapport with the players um, you know if you just talk to Rocky um, you know well, he, he's a pretty easygoing guy but he knows when to be he really knows when to be serious too I mean yeah. he he commands a lot of respect so. You know, I, I'm not going to judge him based on what the power play numbers are, and also considering I had nowhere to go but up, and, and uh, there's still a, a long way to go. But um, they've had pockets this season where the power play has started to look a little bit better, and then you know, the, the, to me, the number one thing they haven't been able to solve is still getting consistent entries. When, once they actually get into the zone, they're okay, but when anytime you have to go 200 feet. Um, they haven't they haven't really found ways to get in the zone and, and uh, you know create create very much of anything and that that's an ongoing problem that that actually goes back a couple of years to when the yeah. power play started to go downhill and you know it was like well not, not even having Giroux on it was making any difference at that point and there's no Giroux here on the power play anymore yeah. so so uh, you know I'll, I'll give face offs hurt you as well then that 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 too that, that instant possession because they lose the draw. You know, it, it's been a, it's been really a struggle, and obviously no Katori, no Katori in the left side, no Giroux on the right side. Yeah. So it's it, it's it's definitely tough. Um, you know, I I think that uh, Kim Dillabaugh has a work developed a really good working relationship with Carter Hart. I think he he deserves a share in that credit too. Um, you know, and, and Sam Merson as well. They they seem, you know, they they seem to be pretty well set there. Um, you know, with Torts. I mean, towards, uh, you know, the, there's, uh, I, I think, I think sometimes with towards, and sometimes towards feeds into that perception a little bit too. Mm-hmm. He, he, he doesn't mind it. Um, but I, I think that uh, with towards, the number one thing that he still wants 
is a is that long term identity standard as he calls it, yeah. and the fact the fact that he you know the fact that he is very honest about it even even when even when things seem to be going pretty well that hey there's still more pain to come, you know that that that's what I really that's what I really like and appreciate about towards that uh, you know he keeps it real as to where he where where he thinks the team is. Um, I I don't you know I don't think there's ever been a coach ever who you're going to agree with him a hundred percent of the time on everything he does, right? But uh, but I I think I think he's been right more than he's been wrong. Um, you know I I think I, I think concerns it was going to be a short shelf life and and you really you, you just do his history other than Vancouver that was kind of that was kind of overblown anyway. But uh, but I think that uh, I think for the most part you know Torts has been what's what's been expected um you know even even when he's had little things here and there a lot of it is done to take pressure off of his players yeah uh, or, or it's like you know if he says something there there's there, there's no there's nothing constructive to gain from it like like the other night again the other night against seattle right it's like well what was he going to say after that game you, you you know you know what actually spoke loudest of all was that on, on the travel day they practiced yeah so that, uh, yeah, that, that, that said more than he could have said with words. So Yeah, you know, I saw a lot of people on social media commenting on that and say, well, he owes a responsibility to the fans to message to the fans. And my response was, no, he doesn't. His responsibility is to make sure that a game like Seattle doesn't happen again. <laughs> and if it's yeah. by not talking that he helps that cause, yeah. then yeah. that's he is beholden and he has to go through a process, you know, we look at it from the outside. We see the two hours and 45 minutes in a day. We don't see the other 21 hours where they live with it. So, um, and look, he's trying to do everything he can to get everybody on the same page and playing to a standard to win more games, not really just for this season, but for when it really matters. That's that's where it really pays the dividends. Um, last one, Bill, and I'd asked uh, Anthony Sanfilippo this last week when I had him on Stick to Hockey, um, through 57 games, you know, when you look at this season and where they've gone, they've improved on last season. I think they're like up 11 points at the same point in the season. But I asked Anthony if he would term this season a success to this point. Um, you know, when you look at it, is has this season, how would you term this season so far? I mean, success is a weird word. To me, yeah. I just, the word I use is progressive step forward, or that's yeah. three words, but to me, it's been a progressive step forward, a move in the right direction. That being said, can't have a, a backward step next year. How would you term this season through 57 games? Uh, I would call it a qualified success. Um, we've talked, to, you know, especially when things are, that stretch where things are going well, where it seemed like a lot of these young guys um, who you want to be part of, part of the solution moving forward, we're, we're all moving the right way. You know, it, it's kind of hard to pass individual judgments when things have been brought for the team as a whole. Yeah. Um, you know, I it's like, well, you know, and there there are always going to be there are always going to be little dips and 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 steps forward. Um, for the rest of the season, I think it's so so important that the Tippets, the Frosts, the the Yorks, you know, guys guys who are all former first round picks, so there's skill there too. You know, the, those guys are those guys are more part of the solution. Those might not be the lead dogs moving forward. They might just be 
valuable supporting pieces, but you need those guys. You need those guys in part because they're still affordable too. You know, you, you, these, if these guys are going to be your, your second line types, your, you know, your, your number two, number three defensemen, uh, you know, in, in a roster. Well, you know, while, while they're still young, you, you want to see them continue to emerge. Um, you know, Tortorella said, and, uh, He's seen it at times from all those guys. Yeah. But the, the, the thing thing he said too, and he actually said this about about Sanheim is a little bit older, but he said he said you know I I told Travis this that like uh, now I've seen it and you're screwed because now yeah. I want it every night. Yeah. Right. And, and shown and, you and, can do it now. Give it to me more often. Exactly. Exactly. Frost being a great example of that. Yeah. Uh, Frost had a stretch of 18 games, 16 points. That's absolutely an NHL player, absolutely a top six NHL player, but that's the, not just it can't just be for eighteen games, right? Yeah, that that has to be night in and night out. You see that from him much more often than the guy who doesn't get the puck touches, who you know makes some decisions with the puck in his own end of the ice that uh, scratch you know you scratch your head. You know you, you want to see the guy who makes an impact, and so you know he can do it. But now he has to do it more consistently. Same thing with Tippett. Same thing. Same thing with York. Um, you know, Morgan maybe a little bit more up and down than some of the other guys. But but those guys I want to see in some of these bigger games. You know, whether the Flyers win or lose, no matter who they're playing, I, I want to see them be among the be among the better players in the team on a consistent basis. And I'll feel a lot better about the season too if that's the case. So you have multiple players. I, I think I think we already know that Cates is going to be one of those guys. Yeah, and 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 his in his uh, case is not necessarily tied into the stats. Yeah, it's it just tied to just being part of the solution moving forward. Whether that's going to be in the third line or wherever that is, you know. But he's the guy who's going to be here moving forward. I, I want to see these guys firmly established. Yeah, I, I'm going to be part of this moving forward. And, and to me, that would move the season from a qualified success, definitely to this. Definitely into a success. We know Carter Hart's going to be here too, so that's uh, that's been a success in that regard. Yeah, and see those guys push it all the way to the goal line of the eighty-two games. That's a big thing. I mean, the one, the last thing is you know one of the most important things I want to see happen in this final twenty-five games, Bill, is if Sean Couturier's healthy enough and cleared, I want to see him play, so I can go into this offseason with some kind of indication that the player can get back on the ice. Stay on the ice because I got to go into this offseason, if at all possible, with that knowledge. And if that's not possible, why is he not cleared after four months? Yeah. What is and what does that tell us? To me, that's paramount. That's absolutely a huge concern. And I understand erring on the side of caution. I understand that you don't push it if he's not ready. I think there needs to be a little more, not a little more, there needs to be a lot more clarity. Yeah. Can you count on him? You, we cannot go through another off season where uh, he, he's skating, he's feeling a lot better. Oh, the best I felt in three years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like like it's it's all in the playing. <laughs> it, it, you know, he, he has to be on the ice, and and it's going to be the same thing too with you know Cam Atkinson. Yeah, from, we're not going to find that out. Yeah. yeah, we're not going to find that out till next year. I mean, I mean honestly, if you would have had a, a healthy Couturier and Atkinson. I think this would be over a hockey 500 team right now. Yep. Maybe not, not a playoff team, or, or you know, maybe in the bubble of it, but but in, certainly in a better position than, than where they find themselves. So, you know, but 
but you can't you can't go in another off season. You can't uh, you, you can't wonder where you are, especially especially because, and then this is a big thing too that I re- that we really need to see. What's the salary cap management plan? Eventually, eventually it's going to go up significantly, but not imminently. And the Flyers have a, the Flyers are still pretty hamstrung by the salary cap. Yeah. Um, do you, you know, do you make some deals where you're doing it primarily for cap management, and you maybe are giving up a, giving up, get, not getting back in return. You know, or you're giving up more than you might want to give up. It's a sweetener. I don't know. I don't know. But but I I do know that it gets it gets very hard to improve when you have very little space in the off season. When you're reliant on, on long term injured reserve just to just to field your just to field your lineup, and and I know that it, that it can't continue. And and the fact that you have guys who are so quite a bit of term left. Katori just started that long-term deal. You have to have some kind of sense of clarity as to, okay, can we count on this player? And if not, you know, how, how do we adjust? And, yeah. and I agree. That, that, that's something I'd like to know by the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, really the only one that in that pickle that we kind of have some clarity on is Ryan Ellis. I think we all believe that it's his career is likely ended and he'll finish out his contract as an LTIR casualty. Um, but yeah, Cam Atkinson is going to be a big question mark going into next year's camp. And then obviously Sean Couturier until we see it back on the ice. And he hasn't played since December of 21. So it's been quite a while. Well, Bill, we've certainly said enough in this episode. Uh, we thank everybody for listening. Read Bill's work on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. Flyers Calgary today. We'll break it down tomorrow and we'll preview Flyers Oilers. See if the Flyers can get an afternoon, late afternoon win today against the Flames. Everybody, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time on Firesdale. Baby, break down. Go ahead, give it to me. Break down, honey, take me through the